0: This was a Valentine's Day book. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay.
1: That is kind of funny now that I think about it. We definitely don't choose the books based on like how well they fit with Valentine's Day.
0: <laughs> hey, readers. I'm Anne Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode three twenty-seven. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader: What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, we are just one month away from the most wonderful time of the year. It's almost time for the Summer Reading Guide. One month from today, on May 19th, our Patreon community gets a first look at the 2022 guide. We're hosting our annual live unboxing event, and that happens before the Summer Reading Guide releases to the public the following week. Early access to the guide is just one way we like to say thank you to our patrons for their support of the show. Unboxing is a big book party where we talk all about the books in the guide, why they might be right for you, why I love them so much, and what old and new titles we're all excited to read this season. We have a blast with the community of readers that joins us to kick off summer reading. Mark your calendars for May 19th. Become a patron at patreon.com slash what should I read next and get ready for a great book party to kick off a great reading season. Readers, today's guest is a professional word nerd. When his submission came in and our team saw his book selections, several of our team members said, oh, I have found my book twin, and we couldn't wait to hear what he and I would talk about today. Gary Robinaugh has always been fascinated with language and how it works. He's built a career researching how communication skills are impacted by brain damage, specifically by a condition called aphasia. When Gary is not at work, he's still asking questions about how language affects the way we think. And this theme, as you'll hear, shows up in his reading life. He is constantly looking for titles that will open doors and compel him to see familiar ideas from a fresh perspective. Growing up in a family that loved science fiction, it's not surprising that Gary still enjoys this genre today. But he's not here searching for aliens or space opera. What he really loves is the power of quietly introspective books that ask, what if? and explore the big questions of human nature. Today, I serve up some suggestions that are exactly what Gary says he's looking for. And as you'll hear, some he was not expecting at all. I loved my conversation with Gary today about a genre we don't discuss as frequently here on the podcast. And I share titles that will offer any reader an invitation to explore new ideas and reconsider how they think about the world around them. Let's get to it. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk this morning and get into your reading life. Gary, what brings you to What Should I Read Next right now?
1: I think I decided to fill out the form, not because I thought you would actually choose me, but I thought it'd be an interesting like reflection on you know what are the three books that I would choose and what I have to say that might be interesting to someone. I'm just always so impressed at how it just seems like there's no way you'll have the right books, the top of your mind, but then you always come up with something.
0: Wow, no pressure, Gary.
1: <laughs> I just a hundred percent trust that
0: you're <laughs> <laughs> I am fascinated by personality typing systems and it hadn't occurred to me that we had put like a self-reflection tool onto the internet. I thought it, I thought it was a submission form, but readers, you can gain some insight into your own self and your reading life by doing yeah. this. Okay, now Gary, now I'm actually looking at it because we did get your submission and actually it was my husband, Will, who was like, this is good. And then Brenna and Holly said, yes, we need to talk to him. In fact, both of them were saying like, I think... He might be my book twin.
1: Yeah, yeah. I talked to Brenda yesterday, and I got two book conversations out of this. So
0: I am so glad to hear it, Gary. Where are you in the world this morning?
1: Uh, so I'm in Austin, Texas. I came to Austin to do a doctoral program at the University of Texas. I'm a speech pathologist and am doing a doctorate in speech language pathology as part of the aphasia research and treatment lab mm-hmm. at UT. We study how communication skills are impacted when someone has a stroke or dementia that damages the brain. And so we, we research um, how speech language therapy can help those people.
0: Tell me about deciding to make that your life's work.
1: So I studied linguistics, deciding what I wanted to do in my undergraduate. I was looking at English and ended up going into linguistics just because I'm uh, really fascinated with, with language and how it works. And specifically got really interested in how our brain processes and how we produce language, uh, which kind of led me into, into the field of, of speech pathology, I guess. I took an intro course in speech pathology and they showed a video of someone with aphasia and a clinician working with them. And it was just like one of those moments, you know, I just knew that's what I want to do.
0: Gary, for those who don't know, would you tell us a little bit about what aphasia is and what your role will be in uh, research, treatment, whatever direction you're looking to take this um, with
1: your doctoral degree? So aphasia is a language disorder caused by damage to the left side of the brain, typically due to a traumatic brain injury or stroke or disease. And aphasia can affect understanding of language and spoken language, as well as reading and writing in a variety of ways, depending on what areas of the brain are affected. So one person with aphasia might have no trouble understanding speech, but have difficulty thinking of the right words to say. And another person with aphasia may speak in sentences that don't quite make sense to other people or struggle to understand when others speak. The research lab I am a part of actually does a lot of work with people who have a disorder called primary progressive aphasia or PPA, which is when someone gradually loses communication abilities due to a neurodegenerative disease. While cognitive functions like memory may be affected as the disorder progresses, aphasia is you know, the first and most prominent symptom. So the research we do focuses on understanding aphasia and finding ways to support communication for those people with aphasia and their families.
0: Okay. So you are a word nerd by profession, is what I'm hearing.
1: Definitely a word nerd, yes.
0: How Does that exist alongside your reading life, or does it color everything about it?
1: That's a really interesting question. I think that it probably does color my reading interests, but I'm not sure exactly how. Okay, interesting.
0: I hope that we hear more about that as we keep talking today. Gary, what were your origins as a reader? Have you always loved books and reading?
1: Yes. As a kid... I loved science fiction. I think that was kind of my first love in the reading world. I remember reading Dinotopia with my mom. She would read the books to me. The original books by James Gurney have these illustrations of this world where dinosaurs live alongside humans. And I just remember being completely captivated by those illustrations. They're like seared into my memory. So I think as far back as I can remember, I've loved science fiction and fantasy and definitely was part of my family culture. We had bookshelves full of science fiction books. My dad is a big sci-fi reader and so always had options there.
0: So you grew up in a household surrounded by science fiction books. After your early start with Dynatopia, what did you move into next? How did you begin exploring other worlds?
1: Isaac Asimov, I think, is, is one of the earliest authors that I remember reading on my own uh, which is kind of a weird start for a 3rd or 4th grader but um yeah. oh wow
0: I was picturing a teenage Gary with that Asimov book yes
1: yeah so I guess that's what was available you know on on the bookshelf so that's what I
0: <laughs> pay attention parents
1: <laughs> like I I remember one book in particular Nightfall by Isaac Asimov it's like this world with five suns or something like that. And every thousand years or so, there's a night because of an eclipse or something. And people just freak out because they don't know <laughs> what darkness is. The The power that science fiction has to mm. explore an idea, you know, explore like our psychology in a way that you wouldn't be able to otherwise.
0: What is it that you find so compelling about that? Is that something you're able to articulate?
1: I don't know. I think I kind of have an interest in, in psychology and philosophy and theology. Uh, and so science fiction to me kind of feels like a playground where you can play with different ideas and in different contexts.
0: So it sounds like you find it just very intellectually compelling. Like that's a lot of fun for you to go exploring in these other worlds.
1: That's definitely the the kind of science fiction that I gravitate to. The more intellectual exploring ideas rather than like more action side of science fiction.
0: The ones that say like, what what if, and what would that mean for humanity?
1: That's the perfect way to describe it, yeah. Yeah,
0: okay. Books that ask, what if. So you said that's the kind of science fiction you like. Which authors do you think are really emblematic of that approach?
1: Some authors that come to mind are Ursula K. Le Guin. I think she is like a master of the what if question. Like, What if there was this world that you know, actually had a socialist system that worked really well? Or what if there was this world where gender was fluid? And what if there was a world where the whole world was a forest, you know? Uh, so she's she's an author that comes to mind. So another author that comes to mind is Sixteen Liu, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but the author of The Three-Body Problem.
0: Uh huh. We'll put it in show notes, Reader,
1: so you can find it. Reading his books, it really feels like he has all these what-if questions that he just wants to play around with. You know, a lot of them are kind of like beyond my understanding of physics, but he'll just have all these weird scenarios that he plays out in his books. So I guess uh, Ursula K. Le Guin and Sixteen Liu are a couple that come to mind.
0: Okay, well, I'm interested in hearing more about the kind of science fiction and other books that really works for you, Gary. Are you ready to talk about your books you brought today? Yeah. I feel like I'm inviting you to the circle for show and tell. You were talking about the playground, so maybe that's not a bad metaphor to run with. (laughs) Okay, well, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately, and we will talk about what you may enjoy reading next. Gary, how did you choose these books for today?
1: I couldn't decide if I wanted to do three books that represented the range of what I read, you know, not just science fiction. I ended up going with three science fiction or at least science fiction adjacent books because I thought it kind of represented really well where my like literary home is, like where I feel most comfortable and where I'm most likely to really love a book. Tell me about the first book you love. The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. Uh, this one was recommended to me as a teenager, I think, by my best friend growing up from back in kindergarten. Like as a side note, I noticed with all of these books that they all have a connection to like people that are close to me in my life. So I think that's maybe part of you know what makes a book really meaningful to me is is just the connection it has to other people and discussing the books with other people. So the sparrow is a first contact story. So the Earth receives this signal from a nearby solar system. They're able to determine that there's this planet uh, with intelligent life sending out the signal. For some reason that I can't totally remember, the Jesuits, like the Roman Catholic order of priests, are able to put together an expedition first before anyone else to send to this planet. And the main character of the book is a Jesuit priest who is also a linguist. So of course I like immediately connected with him.
0: Oh, of course.
1: The book actually has two timelines. In one, Emilio is the sole survivor of this mission. So it's kind of after the mission that has gone horribly wrong, but we don't know exactly how. Traumatized and has like completely lost his faith. Then in the other timeline, we're following the expedition as it you know travels to and lands on the planet and makes contact with this alien species. Mm-hmm. I connected with the main character as a linguist, but also a person of faith, someone who's who's really introspective about their faith. I, I connected with that and have noticed a pattern in my in my reading life that a lot of my favorite books feature characters that are you know, a priest or someone of faith who is really introspective about their faith or who goes through some kind of challenge to their faith, like Amelia does in this story. Okay. So even in these
0: fictional stories set in space?
1: I think especially in these fictional stories, it kind of removes it, puts it in this completely different context. Like it'd be different if we were talking about a story of a Jesuit priest just in whatever everyday situation Like that might be interesting to me too, but I think it's especially interesting when you put it in this completely new context and give people a a new way of exploring, you know, what it means to believe in God.
0: Because then you can be in the playground of ideas and not grounded in the exact particular, like you might be tempted to do, where it's, say, like
1: a memoir.
0: And I believe you enjoy reading those as well.
1: I do, yeah.
0: Now I'm remembering when the book came out, the reviews that that had headlines like Jesuits in space. (laughs) So you are really drawn to a book like this, that speculative, you know, sci-fi, with these
1: deep philosophical questions.
0: Have you read the sequel, Children of God?
1: Yeah, it was good. I don't know that it had quite the same impact on me. I don't think this is too much of a spoiler to say that in the sequel, Amelia goes back to the planet, works through some of the, the trauma and faith crisis that he had. And I also found that very compelling. Mm -hmm.
0: And actually, I'm glad you used the word trauma because lots of readers feel really blindsided by some of the very hard things that happened pretty late in that book. That's that's all the detail I'm going to give you readers. But it it might be nice for them to know that that is processed
1: more in the second book.
0: Okay, that's The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. Gary, tell me about the second book you love.
1: Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. I don't feel like I can actually summarize this book. To give any of the summary would spoil it, I think.
0: Yes, I agree.
1: It is kind of a coming-of-age story. Uh, It's written from the perspective of Kathy, who's one of three friends, and she's telling the story kind of looking back. And one thing you kind of notice early on is that she's not an entirely reliable narrator, or at least... Her perspective, you can tell, is like there's something odd about it. So I've read three books by by Kazuo Ishiguro, and all of them kind of have this in common. He uses this narrator that you can't entirely trust to slowly unravel the mystery at the center of the story, and he does it in just the most masterful way. Actually, my wife Annalie, and I have this um, Valentine's Day tradition. We'll recommend a book to each other a couple months ahead of time. Uh And then on Valentine's Day, we go out to dinner and we discuss the two books that we recommended to each other.
0: This was a Valentine's Day book? (laughs) Wow. Okay.
1: Um, (laughs) That is kind of funny now that I think about it. We definitely don't choose the books based on like how well they fit with Valentine's Day. (laughs) More about, you know, what we think they'd like or would make a good discussion. We had read... uh, the berry giant together. So I knew she would like it. And I really needed someone to talk about uh, the book too. You know, it's interesting that we've discussed your background in linguistics because one of the things that's
0: so odd when you're reading deliberately odd and Never Let Me Go is the way Ishiguro uses words that you are very familiar with in ways that deliberately obfuscate what he's talking about. Yes. Words you know, meanings you don't. As the meanings become clearer, the story does as well. I'm not surprised that you were really drawn to that.
1: So I think that's really what gives it that quality of a feeling you can tell something's a little bit off, but you don't know quite what's going on. Even though most of his stories are really slow burns, like they take a while for things to actually happen, mm-hmm. they're just so compelling because you just want to know what's going on, like why is this so odd or mysterious and you just mm-hmm. want to keep reading until you find out.
0: I love it. I love that you have someone to talk about books and these deep philosophical questions with. (laughs) Me too. Do you find in reading these books that what happens after is as important to your reading experience as what happens during?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, all of these books are ones that the conversations that I had about the books were just as meaningful as the reading experience.
0: Gary, what did you choose to complete your favorites list?
1: So the last book uh, that I chose was The Story of Your Life and Others by Ted Uh Chang. I would say is my kind of current favorite author to read. I've I've read um, both of his short story collections a couple of times in the last couple of years. I picked up this book originally because I loved the movie Arrival, the first contact story, um, which is another story about a linguist. The movie is based on the title story of this book, The Story of Your Life. I loved the movie. I loved the story even more. In this story, The Story of Your Life, aliens have arrived. The government brings in this linguist, uh, Louise Banks, to figure out what they're trying to communicate, figure out their language. And as she's learning this alien language, it really changes the way that she thinks. And so I, again you have this like really fascinating way of of exploring this question that linguists talk about all the time. How does the language we learn and the words that we use, how does that affect the way we think? And so this story takes that and uh, kind of extends it, I guess. Specifically, I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but this language is Nonlinear, unlike any human language. And so that completely changes the way that this linguist is able to think about the world. So that story felt like it was just tailor made for me, science fiction and linguistics aspects. And, and Ted Chang really dives in in the story more than the movie into like the specifics of how she breaks down this alien language. But that wasn't even my. Favorite story in the collection. The first story in the book is about a man who's so he's working on building the Tower of Babel, and they've kind of reached heaven at the beginning of the story, uh, which is really fascinating. And then there's there's another story called "Hell is the Absence of God," set in this world where everyone knows that God and hell exist, uh, and who goes where and there's actually occasional angel visitations the main character in this story his wife dies during an angel visitation and so he develops this hatred for god but also he knows that his wife went to heaven and the only way that he can get to her is to love god i just think ted chang is the master at like setting up these scenarios to explore human psychology and faith and, you know, those big what-if questions.
0: Yeah, I can really see why why you're drawn to his stories and to that viewpoint he's writing from. Okay, Gary, tell me about a book that was not right for you.
1: The reason I chose this book is not that I hated it or anything. I actually liked a lot of things about the book. It was just that it it had a lot of the elements that I look for in science fiction, but it just didn't come together for me. So the book was Appleseed by Matt Bell, published pretty recently I think, just in the last year. This book had like magical elements as well as science fiction elements. It had multiple timelines, which is actually something I usually enjoy when you have like woven stories together. But one of the timelines is like 1800s frontier America. One of them is in like a near future climate related apocalypse. One is very far future. And this book actually, it reminded me a little bit of The Overstory, weirdly, by by Richard Powers, uh, which also has climate change theme, the focus on ecology, and has the weaving narratives. But where I really loved The Overstory, uh, Appleseed just wasn't for me. I was confused a lot of the time about what was going on in the story, and it was a little heavy-handed, I thought, with the message sometimes. And I just didn't feel like all of those different elements were tied together very well by the end.
0: So I'm, I'm not familiar with Appleseed, but we've talked about how you do love science fiction books that ask deep philosophical questions, but you don't necessarily want them answered in words that are very explicitly articulated, but answered in the story posing the question is important but also what is and isn't left up to the reader in the answer and how they interpret it and feel about it like that really matters too for your reading experience
1: yeah i would definitely agree about that i think that's what really leads to those meaningful conversations that for me are part of the reading experience when a book leaves the questions a little bit open for interpretation yeah
0: okay because that's when you have something to talk about Exactly. Uh, what have you been reading lately, Gary?
1: I had a pretty good uh, start to the year. I've read a few recently that I really like. A Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. A story about a monk and a robot becoming friends. So you can't really go wrong there. Like, <laughs> It's just a fun, thoughtful story about finding meaning in life. Other books that I've read, Matrix. By Lauren Groff was one that surprised me. I picked it up just because I had heard several people recommend it. The writing in that book was just phenomenal. It's about twelfth century nuns, which is not, you know, my typical topic for a book, but was just a really compelling read. I, I read it in a in a couple days. Another book I read was all Systems Read by Martha Wells. I feel like I lean more towards the deeper philosophical sci fi. This one was more of an action sci fi. It was a fun short read, but I didn't uh, love it, I guess, uh, or it wasn't one that I've thought a lot about since. I'm currently starting Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. I really enjoyed All the Light We Cannot See and kind of the complex storyline weaving together that the author does. So I trust the author and I'm kind of along for the ride. Yeah, enjoying it so far.
0: Gary, what are you looking for in your reading life right now?
1: I read a lot of research these days, which makes it hard to enjoy sitting down and, and reading a book, at least for me. And so these days I uh, read primarily audiobooks. And when I do sit down with a book, it's usually a graphic novel. I have a hard time finding graphic novels that I really love. I'll read and enjoy them, but they don't stick with me, and I would love to find a graphic novel that I really connect with in the same way that, you know, I connected with, you know, those 3 books that I chose today. I've read a few graphic novels. I would still say I'm kind of a beginner in that genre, but it's really tricky to find one where the art and the story and the dialogue come together for me. One science fiction graphic novel that I've read that did that for me was Slaughterhouse Five, an adaptation of the Kurt Vonnegut book by Ryan North.
0: I've heard great things about that.
1: It was really excellent, like in its own right, not just as an adaptation of the original. But otherwise, you know, there, there are other graphic novels and other genres that I've enjoyed, but would really love to find some science fiction that I can connect with.
0: Gary, you've mentioned that while you chose your favorites from the science fiction genre, you do read a fair amount of other genres in fiction and also a fair amount of nonfiction. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that looks like.
1: So specifically in nonfiction, I do enjoy memoirs and books about faith. I I like reading about faith traditions other than my own. So I, I am LDS and have, in the last decade or so, had some kind of shifts in the way I think about and relate to my own religion. I really enjoy reading different perspectives from other faith and wisdom traditions as well as books about people who've gone through transitions in the way they think about their faith. So uh, authors that come to mind there are P.N.'s, Rachel Held Evans. So authors that take a look at their own faith journeys, to use a cliche, and how the way they think about their own religion has changed. I've also been trying recently to get into... More like nature essay writing without much luck. I think when I can get into those essays, I really enjoy them. It kind of feels like a little bit of work. I feel similarly about essays and nature writing in particular that I do about poems, and that I, when I can take the time to really spend time with the writing, I get a lot out of it. And I feel like it's good for my soul, I guess. But it's sometimes hard to put in the work. Interesting.
0: Is there a book in that genre that you've especially enjoyed lately?
1: I have read and enjoyed recently uh, Wendell Berry, uh-huh. uh, and and enjoyed his uh, essays and poems about an agrarian lifestyle. And
0: and he does not write science fiction, although I imagine that he sets his stories in worlds that are different from your own. But he also likes to ask those deep philosophical questions in his stories.
1: I, yeah, I haven't read any of his fiction. I don't know if you'd recommend those or not. Based on the kind of works you're drawn to, I absolutely would. The feel of the stories, I think, has a
0: lot in common with the works you're really drawn to in the science fiction realm. I'd give it a try. Mm. And um, you don't need to read his stories in order necessarily. He has some really slim volumes. It'd be easy to pick up and just dip in, see what you think.
1: Yeah, that sounds good.
0: When I hear people complain about Barry's fiction, it's often about it being quiet. I don't think that's going to be an issue for you at all,
1: yeah, I, I like quiet
0: all right. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear that you, you know, you know that about yourself as a reader and you have a good idea of what that means as you're choosing books to pick up. However, now we're eyeing some graphic novels to pick up, and I those mm it's not a quiet genre in my experience, but I which I don't think is as broad as yours. But does that ring true?
1: It does. and maybe that's why I have a hard time. Like I have picked up some graphic novels that I might describe as quiet uh-huh. that I've enjoyed, so I I haven't thought about that as a criteria. But I think I think you're right that there tends to be a lot of violence in the more sci-fi stories, which kind of turns me off. And so so maybe that's part of what's making it trickier.
0: Well, as we move forward here looking for some graphic novels you may love. There's one book that we have to talk about and maybe looking for some nature writing. Like what I'm definitely keeping in mind is some of our favorite reading experiences are mm-hmm. sometimes things that we feel like, oh, this book was like custom assembled for me based on my like yeah. specific reading preferences and criteria. But sometimes it's a work that we didn't see coming. You know, We didn't even know to ask for it or look for it, but we ended up reading it and we're like, oh, this is exactly what I wanted. I think it has, we talk about that surprise and delight factor. Books that surprise us are not necessarily the ones that have all the characteristics we typically enjoy. So those are definitely two things I'm keeping in mind. So based on your loves, they were The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell, uh, Stories of Your Life and Others by Ted Chiang. And Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. And then Not For You was Appleseed by Matt Bell. You wanted more, more open-ended questions, even though it did have a lot of the elements that you did really enjoy. We're going to choose some books for your TBR that might fit right in there. Sounds good. What I want to do is I want to give you some options of series that may be worth exploring. You're not looking for like a 42 book series, ideally, correct? Like shorter side would be good or even standalones.
1: The more contained storytelling, yeah. Okay.
0: So I'm just going to suggest several that I think may be a fun pick for you in the graphic novel realm. But you're looking for a graphic novel right now. That is really working in your reading life for reading in print. And I'd love for you to have some promising leads to investigate to see if they it may hit that magical blend of art plus story plus dialogue that really would characterize your favorite graphic novel or graphic novel series.
1: I think you're really on to something with uh, preferring quieter books because a lot of my favorite graphic novels are much quieter and not in that science fiction genre
0: brian k vaughn has a series called paper girls it's six volumes it's illustrated by um cliff chang it's got this major nostalgia vibe because it's set in the 80s and there's four girls on the same paper route in the cleveland area and You know, one day they come across something scary in the neighborhood and they have to fight to save their town. But I mean, that is not quiet, philosophical sci-fi. Like that is an action story. And I wanted to make sure that you had at least seen and had the opportunity to judge for yourself, like some of the like big, really well-known, like really formative series for the genre, like Planetary and Saga.
1: I have checked out Saga. I have not heard of Planetary.
0: It's older. I mean, like now it, it is complete and has been for years. I think it premiered like in the late 90s, but definitely like really influential in the genre. Total critical, darling. But that doesn't mean that like lots of readers have read it, even though it has like a massive cult following. You know, check it out for yourself. See what you think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll check that one out. I've also seen the uh, Paper Girls. I think I would I would like the art in those ones mm-hmm. from from the little that I've seen it kind of has a stranger things kind of vibe to it. With, yes. That comparison gets drawn a lot. That definitely seems like one worth checking out.
0: For a sci-fi series, We 3 by Grant Morrison is a series that is now finished in one collected volume if you'd like to get it that way, but it is also thoughtful and sweet and introspective. It features Really adorable little animals. There's three innocent little pets. There's a dog, a cat, and a rabbit, but they have been converted into deadly cyborgs by the bad guys by a military weapons program. That could that's definitely more in the sci-fi realm. Um, sea of Stars by Jason Aaron is a series featuring space truckers, which sound like really um, like big and brash, but. The protagonist tells you like, no, the reality is that it can be boring as anything, but it's set very much in that world. But I'm also wondering about going again, like more introspective, something by say like Tilly Walden on a sunbeam is a space story, but the focus here is really on the relationships as much as it's set in this like really imaginative world but she has really beautiful art. And while there's definitely like a forward drive and momentum in her stories, but the emotions, the feelings, the big questions are very much what's at the heart of the story. That sounds good. I feel like there's so much we could talk about. We could talk about spiritual memoir and stories featuring characters that are deconstructing and reconstructing, and there's a lot to explore there. And we could talk about the nature writing, which I think we're really going to do. But first we need to talk about a book that directly addresses primary progressive aphasia in the plot.
1: That is surprising, yeah. Um, surprising that I haven't heard about it.
0: Um, you know, that's not the kind of thing that you can, like, search for super yeah, easily. Yeah, I guess not. I guess you have to talk about it in a place like this. <laughs> So this is contemporary fiction, and it was published in 2016. The book is called The Forgetting Time. It's by Sharon Guskin. And at the beginning of the story, we have a mother. She's in New York. Her son is four years old, and she just knows that he is not like other kids. Um, She became pregnant while on vacation in Trinidad, like didn't know the father well, has never seen him since. But now her child is four, and she's a single parent to him. She's never been a parent before, but she knows that her son is not like other kids. He's terrified of the water, which is like, okay, she could go with that. But he's always asking for his other mother. At night, he always wants to go home, even when she's like putting him to bed at night. One night, she has this late night bourbon-fueled internet session And she stumbles upon the work of an eccentric scientist and starts to think that maybe like it's not all in her head and maybe her kid is mentally okay, but maybe he has lived a previous life. And actually she thinks that not only has he lived a previous life, but maybe he's actually died in a previous life. That sounds a little far-fetched and you kind of have to like suspend your disbelief and go for it. Sure. If you're going to dive into this book, but the plot does really resist like simplistic solutions and easy answers as you like dig further and further into this story. Where the aphasia comes in is that she connects with this eccentric scientist who very quickly becomes her only hope. Because he's the only one who doesn't think she is out of her mind to be thinking the things she's thinking about her son and what might be going on here. And she talks to this doctor who for many years has been studying kids like her son who seem to recall details from lives previously lived. This doctor is having troubles of his own. He has been diagnosed with aphasia. He has primary progressive aphasia. You may be able to imagine that even before the diagnosis and the resulting difficulties that are impacting his work every day and just he knows are getting worse, like he definitely feels like he's in a race against time. And you will come to that story and specifically his story with a very different perspective than the vast majority of readers of this book. And I'd be very interested in hearing what you think is it does become a race against time. But he's written this book for the general public. He's hoping it will preserve his legacy and he just needs one more case study. And of course he's he thinks like, oh, this little boy could be his case study. So they could become each other's salvation, but only if he's able to keep doing the work before the aphasia encroaches more. And I'm wondering, as you hear this premise, does that sound interesting to you?
1: That sounds fascinating, um, particularly the part about the, a doctor who is, like you said, uh, in a race against time. And that all sounds really fascinating.
0: I think you might be the right audience for that book, but not for a way that Sharon Guskin ever foresaw, I imagine. And again, it's called The Forgetting Time. And now I want to take you into a nature writing direction. You're intrigued by the idea. You've tried some and it doesn't work. I want to recommend a book that is a little on the long side. The book I have in mind is called Underland, A Deep Time Journey. And it's by the British author, Robert McFarlane. I read one review who said something like, he has basically single-handedly revived the fine British tradition of literary natural history writing.
1: That name sounds familiar. He's written
0: quite a few books. And usually he is... Above the ground, he's writing about mountaintops, like mountains of the mind, which could also be a good pick for you. The lost words, oh, which might actually have your name on it. The wild places, but there's something that sounds really compelling for you. About going below the ground because we're still very much on this earth, and he's still writing about the natural world, and yet it feels very otherworldly, as he describes, like in great detail, like a system of caves he tunnels through to write one section of the book that still has me, like, kind of cringing and duck, ducking as I'm describing it to you. Because I don't think I have claustrophobia until I read something like this. But he goes all over the world writing about these really interesting places under the ground. And he says that he wants to write about, that he wants to explore what lies beneath the surface of the earth, yes, but also what tends to lie beneath the surface of our minds. And he has this very interesting approach, like almost twofold, where he's definitely writing about the physical things he sees and their history and their provenance and their origins, the actual caves, the actual fungi. And yet he's also writing about what it means for humans not just like its effect on our natural world and our like continuing as a species but also like philosophically what does it mean to know these things exist and how should we be thinking about them and what does it mean for how we move forward i think he's writing again in a different genre but he's asking the kinds of big questions that you've really enjoyed and writing in a style that really works for you how does that sound
1: Tell me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds a little bit like the nonfiction version of The Overstory or like a similar vibe.
0: Yes and no. I feel like uh, Powers is like a little more clever and a little zippier and Robert McFarland's style is to just like really sink in
1: I and then sink some more. That sounds great.
0: Okay. So we hit on several graphic novel series and standalones. We talked about On a Sunbeam by Tilly Walden, the *We 3 comic series by Grant Morrison. We talked about the old series, Planetary and Saga. We talked about Paper Girls by Brian K. Vaughn. It's possible I'm leaving one out there, but we talked about those graphic novels. We hit The Forgetting Time by Sharon Guskin. And then we ended with Underland, A Deep Time Journey by Robert McFarlane. Gary, of all the ground we covered, what do you think you may pick up next?
1: I can't not read Forgetting Time right away. (laughs) It seems like very specifically up my alley. So I, I feel like I need to check that one out.
0: Well, I'm so curious to hear what, you know, given your course of study, like your actual life's work, I'm so curious to hear what you think. Gary, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for talking books with me today. Thank you. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Gary, and I'd love to hear what you think he should read next. For the full list of titles we talked about, visit our show notes page at what should I read next, podcast.com slash three twenty seven. Don't forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter and make sure you are on the list when the twenty twenty two summer reading guide releases next month. That sign up is at what should I read next, podcast.com slash newsletter. We are active on Instagram at What Should I Read Next, and I have my personal account at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B is in Books, O-G-E-L. Connect with us there and tag us in your reading-related posts so we can see what you have been reading lately. Make sure you're following in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in next week when I'll be talking with a lifelong reader who turned books into her vocation as her city's friendly neighborhood bookseller. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rocha said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.